Hello and welcome to Rewind Reviews. We're back, Chris. It doesn't feel like that long because we ba- we powered through Cora very quickly. So it feels like we only finished in a series of Rewind Reviews like a couple weeks ago. And then I thought about it. it was like, no, it was just a few weeks ago. <laughs> I was, yeah. We, we recorded Cora in like three weeks, four weeks. So uh, we're back for Rewind Reviews. Yeah, man. Uh, back baby so as i uh you know as i punished us at the end of the last series i chose i chose the not to give the game away but i chose the rugrats movie chris um out of yes now morbid curiosity it's a choice that come up a few times like we discussed it like a few weeks prior and both discussed it in a um we our memory is this was quite a good fun movie so the experiment was, is it going to hold up? Yep. Uh, yeah, like a because true, equally, is it going to hold up? Because equally, neither of us had seen it recently. It was not, it's not a movie we'd gone back to. And I remember, I think I, I think I said, I may have just thought it, but I'm pretty sure I said on a podcast, the funny thing about this is, all the other, or well, not all, but a lot of the other movies we do on this podcast, we've gone back to in our adulthood because we liked them and already know they hold up or already know they don't, right? We, I can't, I can't speak for you. I have not probably not seen this film since I was a child, um, and that arguably no. says a lot because child Dan fucking loved this movie. So what? So what did you? Was it the classics? Did you have it on VHS? What was your What was your history with this with this film? Apologies, um, I I'm going to try and keep it in. I got a little bit of a cold. Hopefully, you won't hear me coughing. Just caveat. Carry on with your history, Dan. I know I've just stopped coughing from having COVID, so I'm now going to have to do a lot of. I was like, oh, finally, I can edit a podcast without having to go through every minute of it to check for coughs. But uh, no, Chris, I should. Chris I should, went and got ill. I should. <laughs> I can. I should be able to try and uh, try and uh, and avoid it. Uh, avoid being too near the mic. I will do my best. It's okay. It's fine. I was. Uh, I was making a little joke, doing a little funny. Oh yeah. No. No. I know. Don't worry. I'll gladly. I'll gladly go through the podcast, Chris, and remove your uh, move, remove your coughs. It'll be good yeah, actually, no, no, because no. I had to do that recently with our Cora podcasts, and then when people started asking me how my hot dog stand was doing. I knew what the fuck they were talking about. And I feel like if I hadn't gone back through them that recently to check for coughs, I wouldn't have known what that was. When the fuck did we talk about you having a hot dog stand? Exactly. See, Chris is in the other position where he is not edited those episodes since we did it. Um, the very first episode, Chris, I opened by making a joke about how so much time had passed between Cora that our lives had changed a lot. You now had three children from three different wives. <laughs> and I owned a successful hot dog stand and was a hot dog mogul. <laughs> To which you replied, let's be honest, the uncomfortable truth about that is you could make more money if you had a hot dog stand. And I said, there's no could about it. (laughs) Yeah, that's very good. Uh, But I'd forgotten that happened. But then I had to go through them. I'd forgotten that happened. Had to go through the podcasts with a a fine tooth comb, so to speak. um, And was reminded of the various things we'd said. And that meant that when people started congratulating me on my hot dog stand, I knew what the fuck they meant. (laughs) Because otherwise, I would have had the reaction you just had. Just just quickly then. Because there's presumably a lot of paperwork and a lot of like food hygiene stuff. And you've got to... You've got to find a spot on a market or a street to have your stand. Yes. Whereas presumably, actually, three children by three different women would logically only take nine months. Do you think it would be possible for someone to get and own and start a hot dog stand business quicker? I think that would take longer than having three children by three different women. 
Well, it depends, Chris, because if, you, uh, if you're if you smart about how you approach it, you might be able to purchase an existing hot dog stand. Ooh, great shout. Didn't think of that. Um, that already has all of its, like, permits and permissions. And then, you know... Well, I, I describe myself as a hot dog mogul. <laughs> in that podcast <laughs> so well you've got you've got you've got hot dog stands by three you've got three hot dog stands from three different hot dog vendors That's what you've there. <laughs> coincidentally all the women that i knocked up yeah so. yeah, yeah weird really weird <laughs> i like that we're starting this podcast with an impenetrable reference to a podcast someone might not have listened to if you want to know more about what we're talking about that's the, how we started discussing legend of Korra. <laughs> It's like the first thing that we talk about in the first episode of Legend of Korra. So I think that's episode 60 of Analyzing Avatar. Um, anyway. Um, so Anyway, what's your uh, history with the Rugrats movie? Yes. So when I was a kid, uh, I was a huge fan of the Rugrats TV show. I always thought it was so clever the way they would have these really large scale adventures from the from their home. You know, this idea that they would like, you know, go to space or... You know, being like an Indiana Jones uh, parody, or like you know, be on the be sailing on the high seas, and it was all just the kids' imaginations. The whole episode was actually in the real world. Them like in their dad's garage, like standing on top of his car, and the car was the boat, right? And like I just used to really, really love the creativity of that. And obviously, you know, uh, the, the kids were always quite funny. Um, the way they the way they would say things or like you know the, the the way they would approach stuff they would always have this weird sort of skewed like they'd oh you know putting together bits of things they'd heard from adults to try and make sense of the world and like getting that sense that the, that the adults in the series in the series are like ha- having these influences on it and I always really love as well that the adult stories that went around them were also surprisingly like interesting. Like I remember, I actually I read it. I read a thing recently, and I'll have to go back to the series to see if this is true. But basically, a lot of people say you know you watch the show as a kid and you relate to the kids so much, but you watch the show as an adult and like it hits home so hard the parents and their struggles because they're all just thirty something parents with babies trying to figure out their lives, and it's just apparently that's that that's extremely relatable. Um, when when you watch it, um, you know, with that, with that context. But anyway, I was a huge fan of the show. I thought the show was fantastic. And I think I was one of the kids that got the show brought back because there was a period of time when the show wasn't really in production anymore um, after its first couple of seasons. But Nickelodeon didn't have a lot of content at that point, so they just reran it and reran it into the ground. And um, that's when it gained a huge amount of popularity. Um, this is sort of like, I want to say like 94, 95. And I think that's when I we moved to Ireland and I had access to, to, to Nickelodeon or a version of it through my uh, grandparents. They had Sky. We couldn't afford Sky. Uh, but my grandparents had Sky. So I, I, every time I went around there, I'd watch whatever kids' channels they had because that was like my only access to them. And like Rugrats, again, was during that era, was just like on repeat, especially, uh, yeah, around like 95. So the, the show gets re- revitalized because of that, that interest that grew from that. Um, and then they start planning this movie. And I remember them promoting the movie on the channel. And then I remember not shutting up about it. I just... <laughs> I, I, I just... There's this distinct memory of exasperation from my parents. To the point where I'm pretty sure they took me to see it opening weekend to shut me up. And back then we like, didn't literally, have literally opening weekend. Yeah, literally opening weekend. And I, and, and and 
I remember this because then it was still showing for weeks after. And then I was talking about seeing it a second time. Um, because basically, you know, in, in Ireland where I lived, there was a, there was a small theatre, a very small one with like, like 50 seats, tiny screen, um, on the main high street in Roscommon that was, um, that wanted to do like one showing a day or occasionally they'd stretch to two. And, um, to really go to like a big multiplex that was showing multiple things and, and catch all the movies, you'd really have to go to um, Galway or Athlone, where there was a big shopping center that had a big cinema at the back of it. And I remember at Burger King because we used to always go to the cinema and then have Burger King. Um, and because I, I remember going to see Men in Black there, and the Burger King had Men in Black based toys, and they had the they had the little pen, you know, the pen that they use in the movie to erase people's memories. Yeah, that was one of the options for yeah. the toy, and I wanted that so bad. You erased your parent, you erased your parents' memory of seeing the film, and went back and watched it a second time. Exactly. Uh, no, they didn't. But the week we went, they didn't have the pen. They had the little toy car, and I was so upset. <laughs> I really, I really thought you were going to go. Yeah, no, yeah, but the, the pens didn't work, Chris. They were just toys, <laughs> and I was going to be like, "Yeah, no, I know, Dad." Like, <laughs> yeah, I figured you'd do that anyway. Um, so we go see, we go see the Rugrats movie. We come back, and I basically, fucking, I'm hyper. I can't. I'm like, I'm, I'm so excited. I love the movie so much. Child Dan just had the best time. Like, mm. best movie I've ever seen. Best movie experience. Like, I cannot ex- explain the joy the movie brought to me as a child. I don't understand it, especially not now, having rewatched it. Um, but Child Dan fucking loved that movie. And I think no matter what criticisms I may levy at the movie today, it's never going to undercut how much joy the film brought me as a child. Because the movie's aimed at children, right? So it worked. <laughs> like, no matter what adult Dan perceives as flaws in the film um it functioned very well um and yeah so that then obviously it was a uh, when it came to vhs it was another one of those like rented a bunch sort of movies um uh, but i i think of all the movies i've described as you know wearing the tape into the ground i think this is the one i maybe dropped the earliest from that sort of rotation as it were um you know movies like gremlins and aladdin robocop you know these movies i watched well into my teens and onwards you know um rugrats i don't sure when i kind of stopped going back to the movie but it early like what quite early and i don't know if that's telling of the movie's aim is this one of those movies that's just aimed at children like specifically like not trying to be for both i'm not sure we'll, we'll talk about that i guess but yeah i i had a really good time with this movie as a kid and i, I had this distinct memory of it being an absolute sort of masterpiece of cinema uh i don't think i will have said it that way um but that's definitely how I felt about it. So yeah, um, that was my sort of history with it um, until coming back to it now. Um, how about you, Chris? What, what did you have any specific memories of seeing it? Did you see it in the cinema, or is this something you saw later on? Uh, my cousin had a copy on VHS. Right. It's a much shorter story than yours. No, I'm joking. Um, so yeah, but no, that was the case. So I, I think Rugrats for me, <clears throat> bizarrely, and I think this might have been the reason you dropped it. I think the the genius thing about Rugrats is how much it can appeal to kids and how it managed to because Rugrats aired for like 10 years or something and obviously then recently came back as well like it kept renewing that audience but I think the the flip side of that is you get to a certain age where you inherently go oh children's cartoons are for children you know you've got the Simpsons which which 
is for is more for is you know feels a bit more dangerous then you get into an age of south park and then you get into kind of live action and i think for me the tv show i always liked watching it i was never i was never obsessed with the tv show because i think my my main memory of the tv show was it would be it would almost be the thing on live and kicking that you had to get out of the way to watch keenan and kel <laughs> do you know what oh, i mean right. like i was i was very much like when's the when's the keenan and kel coming um because and that was sort sort of my a big exposure to Rugrats through Saturday morning TV, maybe more than Sky. Because again, I think by that point, I, I was quite a young age when I was already all about the sitcoms. Mm-hmm. So I remember enjoying Rugrats though. And I, and I remember really enjoying this. My Literally, my cousin had a copy on VHS. He was like, my in my memory <coughs> a bit more all about them Rugrats. Um, and I remember being like, oh, can I borrow this? You know, you do that thing where you're like, you know, you go around anyone's house in that, at that age and you're trading VHSs. And I remember mm. just being like, oh, can I borrow this? And they said, yeah. And uh, and I remember watching it and being like, oh, that was a blast. That was really good. Like, but I remember watching when at the, I, I can't tell you what, uh, sort of, I guess, around it coming out on VHS, whatever that was. But I already felt whether it was true or whether it was just an inflated sense of um i don't know adulthood i already i remember watching it feeling too old to watch it but still then really enjoying it and really getting a kick out of it so yeah that's my and being surprised at like how good it was um so yeah that's that's sort of my memory of it mm. so how did you feel <coughs> sitting down a little ill. <laughs> I can't imagine helped to watch it this time. <laughs> what any? Uh, what, what are the overriding thoughts having just watched the movie again? Um, I watched it last night, and yeah, it was a bit fever dreamish. Um, I bet. You know what? I I think it's. I can I can absolutely see why I enjoyed it. And you know what? I didn't disenjoy it this time. There's some genuinely, it, there's some genuinely really, really funny lines in there. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of stuff that's aimed at adults. You know, it, it, what is it? Um, if you, if the baby's born under Venus, look for her, and then she gets cut off. Yes. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, that's Absolutely. a, that's a, that's an adult joke. There's, there's some fairly dark humor. There's a bit where they think a kid's been like, he loved, he loved t- climbing trees. Yeah, that, and now he's been one. crushed by one. Yeah. Like, no, no, it's, I think it's, I think it's, I think the line is something like, he loved climbing trees and now a tree has climbed him. <laughs> yeah. Like, there's and some he's, really and I think he's funny been crushed bits. by a tree is the, is the setup for that and, joke. It's very funny. And it's, and it's really, it's quite layered as well. It's talking about, the impact a new child has on friendships, brotherhoods, the the weight of responsibility. They draw parallels between Tommy and Dill and Stu and his brother, which is a mm-hmm. very clever thing that they didn't need to do. The The challenge with this movie, and the problem is it doesn't... The challenge with this movie for me is there's two, there's two motifs, there's two things they do that I find so incredibly irritating... One is randomly bursting into... I don't actually mind that. It's sort of that be a musical or don't thing. Like, Fucking the songs. The songs, the, the, re, the remixed versions of well-known songs, just for like 30 seconds at a time, occasionally, is just every time that starts, you, I genuinely just wanted to skip ahead. I didn't, yep, me too. but I genuinely just wanted to skip ahead. 
They're awful. And they the, are j- absolutely the joke. Awful. The joke of saying the adult phrase wrong, thank Bob, and and all of, we're off to see the lizard and all of that stuff, which I remember being really endearing in the in the TV show, is just overdone a bit in the movie in certain oh, but, sections. But Chris, she's got a butt hound because she wants those fugitives back in custody. Exactly, and that that's the thing. They're not even there's like whole lines where there's like four of them within one line, like, and it's just. What, so Chris, those... but Chris, you could say you just don't get the facts of lice. Oh, Jesus. So those two things, take the baby back to the hospital. Yeah. Like, that's, I mean, that's throughout the whole oh, thing. Well, and it's Chris, really that, weird. Well, that, Chris, that, that court gave me juice bumps. <laughs> Jeez. So <laughs> but those two things yeah. make the movie, they don't even make the movie bad. They just make the movie meh. They just they just made me finish the movie and go, well, that was a thing. That was something I did for 80 minutes. And I think it's a bit of a shame because it's kind of like the good stuff isn't so incredible that it outweighs that. And the bad stuff, the bad stuff actually isn't so awful that it brings the whole thing. You know, it makes the movie shit. It just it just levels out as like, all right, because it's just those two things in particular are just irritating. And it's a shame because there's some really clever stuff here. How they conceivably get the babies into the middle of the forest is there's just a lot of fun. Did you going into this movie, Dan, were you going, oh, there's probably going to be a scene where some monkeys chase the babies in a in a in a dinosaur pram into a cave? Like, of course not. There's some really fun shit in here. There is. There's some genuinely fun stuff. And the way they tie it back to character and brotherhood and its themes, whilst maybe arguably it's trying to do a, a lot, like the, when they first introduced the Chucky thing, I'm like, oh, God, we've got, a, we've got a Chucky friendship jealousy angle on this as well. But they tie it together. It works quite nicely. They have to flip-flop a bit. Tommy flip-flops with Dill a bit too much in the movie, in my opinion. Pick a lane instead of being like you like there's a point where he's literally going to cover him in bananas. So the monkeys eat him and then he just like stops. Like, oh, so... man, we, need to, we need to talk about that scene. That scene is dark. But we'll come back to that. But yeah. <laughs> but so so, you know, it's just I think my over in terms of overall feeling is it just comes out as. Yeah, it's a it's a fun kids movie. Uh, you know what I mean? I, I don't. I don't hate it, and I'm not sat here going, everyone needs to watch this. It's more nuanced than you realised. It is more nuanced than you realise. A lot more nuanced than you realise. But that is undercut by some really irritating songs and dialogue. So, yeah. Yeah, I I mean, I sort of came out of it very much like, that's a movie that I've just watched. (laughs) And now I need to go to sleep. (laughs) Yeah. Like, you finish the movie, you just think, right, back to Norman. Mm. Um, okay, so yeah, I think my oh, <coughs> sorry, did I cause you to cough that with my with the shit? <laughs> oh no, I think we've lost him. <coughs> sorry, he's dying, everyone. You, say, sorry, you, fin- you finish coughing, mate. That's fine. Very physical reaction to that joke. Carry on. <laughs> um, yeah, so for me, the, the issues are threefold. I think you've hit on two of them. I, I think the songs are awful, absolutely awful out of place, 
awkward. They never work. They're never good songs. Um, there's some interesting visuals that go along with them, but they're not worth it. They interrupt the flow of the movie. They, the movie kind of stops for each song to happen. They never are moving the plot forward. So that is, I think, why you get that urge to reach for a skip song button. Um, I think, if I'm being honest, mm-hmm. I think that's what that, that, that I think that's that the. It feels like the songs were an afterthought, and therefore none of them are actually baked into the story properly. You know, um, oh, there is one. There is one that I liked. Can I say? Is it is it Angelica's one? Because that's my favorite one. No, it's the one where Tommy. It's the one where they first bring Dill home, and Tommy singing about how he wants his mum and dad back. I I quite like. I thought that was quite oh, emotional. Yes. Actually. Yeah, yeah. That well, that's very sad. That's plot based as well. Like I, I do enjoy the Angelica one as well, just because I think that's a funny idea to do one way or another. I'm going to get you, but she's after Cynthia. I think that's kind of funny. But other than those two, they're all awful. Um, so, so those two problems are for real. Like, like Chris is not wrong. The, the 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 constant using of the same joke, which is the kids saying the saying wrong. How prevalent that is throughout the movie. It's like every other line. It's really obnoxious. It gets quite old. Um, and the, and the songs are bad for the reasons we've mentioned. The other issue for me is their decision to make the movie have more scale than the show hurts the charm of the thing because Rugrats's mm. charm for me was always how small scale the things were because they were babies. They're not getting out of their play pens or their homes. You know, they're very much in this one location, being babies. And having to invent with their minds the adventure. That was a lot of the show. Not all of the show, I accept. But many, many episodes of the show were that premise. And then the intercutting between the imagination and the real world. The movie starts with that. As like a, almost like a nod to what the show was. But then the adventure is very much a real adventure. And the scale of it is silly. <laughs> and not in a believable good way. The ve- the very similitude of this show is is of this movie is broken. It's hard to believe these kids would be lost out in the woods and not be dead by nightfall. Even in a weird light fun world like the Rugrats. Because the show was always very very realistic and grounded in its real world stuff and silly yeah in its dream or imagination sequences. The choice to make it silly in the real world (laughs) and to make the real world as big as some of their imaginations had been in the episodes sort of weirdly hurts the charm of it. And so there are glimpses of that here, but it's kind of lost in these insane attempts to make the movie have the scale of a movie. Like, they had lots of self-doubt around whether they could make, you know, a cartoon that was 11 minutes an episode have the scale of a movie so they had to they overcompensated oh the babies will be lost in the woods for real and there'll be a wolf chasing them and monkeys and there'll be a you know the dad's gonna fly over a giant pterodactyl and like crash into this ranger hut and it's gonna be all epic like it's just it's, I, no it's, that's that's no it's not it's not rugrats in it, it, and it and it's not even <laughs> the tone like it's it's just wrong it doesn't work do you think it would have been to to and this is this is a classic um not countering because i feel this but countering for the sake of discussion sure do you think there's a possibility that sustaining that this is what the terror is to in their heads but this is what the terror actually is 
thing either isn't sustainable for 70 minutes isn't big enough for a movie screen because you know it's not real like what do you know what i mean like in a in a in a 12 minute short because rugrats episodes had were divided into two if memory serves so yeah, the, the episodes you... were made as single episodes of 11 to 12 minutes and then they were put together yeah, you... for a tv broadcast and as then a, an episode that was 20 but it was always two individual segments so taking that thing that works really well in an 11 minute episode and expanding it over 70 minutes is is there a possibility that someone like me but you know and I I have struggled before with jeopardy of something that's not real even though I suppose in this case it's different because there's real jeopardy to them what I'm saying is do you think they had the do you think they discussed it and do you think there was an active choice of we can't sustain that for 70 minutes yeah, I think there was an active choice. Well, eight, I, I, 80, in fact. I, I think they absolutely had that exact conversation and landed on the side of, we don't want to risk that. You know, we, we want to make sure mm. that, 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 that we have enough scale and jeopardy to, 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 to fuel a movie. I, I, I think that's exactly what happened. I'm saying I disagree with that choice. <laughs> um, I think mm. the thing is, you, you absolutely are right in that the, je- the jeopardy specifically could be you know could be hurt maybe by having it more in their imaginations whatever the adventure they go on is but the character stuff could all still be there and that's what really fuels the story right it's the it's the brotherhood stuff it's the it's the tommy wanting to protect a brother who's not treating him very well <laughs> you know um and wanting to protect that brother in spite of that because he he has uh you know a sense of responsibility instilled in him um whether he understands that concept thoroughly or not. Um, and when that's contrasted with Stu and Drew's brotherhood, it's 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 actually a really, that's a really clever idea. And the movie gets lost and unable to focus on that because it's such a wild, insane journey in terms of they're physically lost out in the woods. Uh, they do cover it a little bit by having the kids have a misunderstanding about their situation, though, because obviously the kids are looking for a, for the lizard instead of the wizard who can wish them out of there. And the payoff to that is genius. Mm. Absolutely genius. I thought that as a kid. I think that now. It's so clever. Um, but yeah, I, I just think the attempts to scale it up do more harm than good. But I absolutely understand how they got there because I think they got there for exactly the reasons you just said. Um, but I do yeah. think it's possible to have achieved a more grounded, true to the show version of this movie. I just think they 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 weren't willing mm. to risk it, <laughs> which is un- which is understandable. You know, you you, you know, f- uh, this is the first Nickelodeon movie, I believe. Um, oh, sorry, the first Nickelodeon animated movie, I should say. Um, so you know, understood. Like I I get it. I know why we we were taking risks, and it paid off. It made a lot of money. It's a, it was a successful movie. So I, I you know, and, and and again, and as everything should be caveated with on this podcast, this particular episode of this particular podcast, Child Dan fucking loved this movie. Was he wrong to love this movie? No, 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 no. He had a great time. Uh, I think it's. A, I think it's a. I think it's a great. I felt that even watching it last night, I really felt like. This is a great kids movie. Mm-hmm. Like, and even, even you know, not having the time to link it back to stu- the you know the adult brothers' relationship as much as I'd have liked it to, because I agree with you on that point. You got to even then go mid nineties. Do you know what I mean? This isn't a world of Steven Universe. This isn't a world of Owl House. This isn't a world of animated 
properties going in hard on message and going in hard on you know the fact that they there's a there's a thematic link <laughs> there's a you know it, there's a there's a nuance there between Dill and Tommy and Stu and I can't remember the other brother's Drew. name um Stu and Drew like uh, the fact that the movie even attempted to do that and show that and actually you know the movie's at an, uh, it's targeted towards kids that might be going through a certain amount of brother resentment or jealousy or difficulties like it's yeah, well, not even, I mean, that probably even... works for any sibling level, like not just brother, but like, like whether yeah. it's a sister or between two sisters or, you know, like whatever that is, any sort of uh, sibling rivalries that might exist. I, I think, yeah, I think that probably, a lot of kids probably related very heavily to the themes of this movie. Yeah. So, and, and, and you've got to give it credit for that. And it is, yeah. it is a, and, and as a kid, you, you know, you probably, you probably liking the songs and you're probably either not noticing or finding the finding the verbal things funny like it it, yeah. it really regardless of me coming away from it being a bit like ah eh, all right fine that that was what it was it is this is a brilliant movie for kids i i and i think it holds up as a brilliant movie for kids as well yeah yeah i th- i think that's probably still true i just it's interesting cuz like how do you scale that because you know I always kind of had the feeling like a movie should work on like well, a kids movie should work for adults too to some degree. Uh, but you know, I guess there has just got to be media that's literally just for kids. Like that that can't not be a thing, I suppose. And I maybe my insistence that things work on both levels is kind of like, well, you know, I get I guess that comes from like this idea that like, well, a kid movie that's just for kids is dub tripe with no like thematic links or anything like of interest to all the adults but but actually i think there's probably a middle ground too right where like a movie can be tonally in terms of its humor and its approach purely for kids but could also not treat kids like they're fucking idiots because that's i think that's where the confusion is there right i'm confusing two different problems i think but also i'm not entirely sure this movie doesn't work for for specifically for parents because it doesn't particularly work for us because we're sat here going, "Ah, oh, they could have done more to to show to showcase the link between Stu and Drew and Tommy and Dill." No, a parent's probably not thinking that. A parent's probably relieved that there's a bit of message in there. And actually, some right. of the jokes, some of the humour, absolutely works as jokes. Like on us, I laughed out loud multiple times in this. Yeah, I did too. And there are some jokes. Literally, there's a not there's a dick joke. Like there's there's literally it's cut off, but like there's literally a dick joke in this movie. Yeah, I reckon if you're a parent and you've been watching Peppa Pig and other inane bollocks, sitting down to watch this whoa, probably whoa. isn't the worst time you're going to have watching. Whoa, whoa, know. whoa, 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 whoa. There are okay, many shows. I don't know whether there are many shows you could have picked okay. there, Chris. But Peppa Pig, back off. Just saying. Okay, well, I've never, I've never seen Peppa Pig, so okay, Peppa fair Pig enough. Peppa Pig is fucking hilarious. I take that back. But do you know what I mean? Like, I don't think... I'm going to send you a clip later of... from one of the funniest things that I've ever seen, and it's a Peppa Pig moment. <laughs> I'll show you. That. Okay, okay. Okay, Peppa Pig was the wrong thing to name. Yeah. But, you know, in terms yeah. of this, this film is not... This film is not for two mid-30-year-old men that don't have children. So in terms of truly judging how this film plays for adults... 
it's actually how it plays for the parents that are also watching it. And I just can't help but feel it probably doesn't pay, play as badly as some other shit they've had That's to watch. so interesting, isn't it? Because I was thinking about that. Because I was, as I was watching this last night, I was kind of imagining. My parents would have been around my age now when taking me to see it. In fact, actually, they'd have been a few years younger than I am now uh, when they took me to see this film. And I was thinking about that quite a lot. How old were your parents when they had you? <laughs> um, like 19. Oh no! I suppose my parents. Yeah, my parents were early twenties, so yeah, that would make sense still. Yeah, they, yeah. I think my mom, I think my mum was like nineteen, like maybe twenty. At most. Jesus, um, too young. Um, so Fucking yeah. Hell. Anyway, yeah, carry on. So yeah, so my parents were not were younger than I am now when they dragged me to see this movie by my by my brief calculations. Um, so I was thinking a lot about that. I was thinking a lot about how they will have reacted to this movie, and. Part of me thinks, did they just sleep through a lot of the movies I dragged them through? Because, you know, what are they getting out of this? I mean, admittedly, it's a brisk hour and 15, hour and 20, somewhere in that range. That's obviously very, that's good. <laughs> that's, that's um, you know, in and out, <laughs> as a good kid's film should be, I think. Um, but yeah, I, I, I couldn't help but wonder if they would have been exhausted by it, bored by it frustrated by it because i tell you what i watched this with nadia last night and she lost interest very quickly very quickly she mm. found the whole thing yeah, too yeah. slow and plodding and was like looking at her phone and then doing knitting and then like getting up and like doing other stuff and like i was like do you want to pause it while you leave the room she's like no <laughs> like not in like very quickly disengaged from the film and we did say what we'll do we'll have a look at the show and see if the show is better at keeping us engaged than, than the movie was because even i did feel there were certain points in the movie again around the songs i think i was like ah, it's quite a tiring experience i could see somebody falling asleep to this but of course when i was a kid and i saw these movies i didn't know that my parents i'm sure my parents yeah, slept through many I've... movies i dragged them to but i i do wonder about that like you know were they asleep during this and i was just so enraptured by the film that I didn't notice, you know. Yeah, and I think to some degree, because there is definitely bits, um, like in the, there's a lot of a lot of the forests, like core forest stuff in the middle, gets a little bit repetitive. Like, yeah, he's they're annoyed with Dill. They're not annoyed with Dill. The monkeys are chasing after them. The monkeys are not chasing after them. There's a wolf hovering. Like it, it's very, uh, it's it's a little repetitive. But you know what? To some degree fundamentally it's a movie about characters needing to get from a to b and i have noticed recently after watching 1917 at home <laughs> and that film's incredible don't get me wrong but there are moments i was watching that film back when it's not in the cinema and there's not the spectacle right. and all of that sort of stuff i was watching that movie going back oh there are points in this movie where they literally go like the bit where he gets on board with the people in the in the truck Yes. And they drive him for like five minutes and then he just gets off. And, and you're just like, that didn't really achieve anything. <laughs> like, the, you know, there's this kind of story inherently sort of has to have that a bit. Road trip movies or people are stuck somewhere. They have to remain stuck somehow. Um, but weirdly, though, I don't know. I don't know. It's so hard to. It's such a different beast, isn't it? 11 minutes to 80. <laughs> um, but yeah. yeah. Um. So getting to some of the more specifics, um, I, I want to talk about a couple of different things that I thought were interesting about the movie. Um, uh, so specifically, uh, the, the opening, the the the, start, the movie starts at the baby shower. Dee um, Dee is uh, is pregnant. We get to introduce to the whole family. I think 
one of the struggles they might have had here is that Rugrats had quite a wide supporting cast, and generally speaking, every episode of the show would only really have a couple of them in it. They were very rarely all around the whole family, because it's it's quite a large family. Um, only one of the grandparents lived with the kids and was regularly around to let them escape by falling asleep. Um, <laughs> Stuart Drew's dad um, is the worst and remains the worst as a as a, as a He's parent. one of the best characters in this movie. <clears throat> Yeah, um, he but he's falling asleep like it's so constant in the show. Like, like it was, it was like a because obviously nine times out of ten the babies have to escape and go somewhere, right, for the for the story to happen. And like they always would just ah, put him with the granddad, have the granddad fall asleep. That was like the answer like nine times out of ten in the show. <laughs> so the fact they did that here I thought was quite funny. But the way this movie opens, they do a really good job establishing who the babies are really quickly and what their personalities are and how they relate to each other. Very quickly do we establish that through a little bit of a cheat with some Chucky voiceover, but it works. It's fine. It makes sense in the context of like a fake Indiana Jones parody, which by the way, they got the real Indiana Jones music. Oh, how much did they pay for that? I was all I could think was all I could think was cost when I heard that song. Every second of that song I'm just like watching money burn. I'm like, Oh Jesus, that wasn't cheap. All I could All I could think was if this is the baby's collective imagination, have they seen Indiana Jones? Holy shit, I didn't even think of that. They must have, right? Yeah, they, they, they've been in the room. Indiana Jones has been on the TV and that's inspired them. I mean, often in the show, they were inspired parody. by various like kids' books and other TV shows they would watch. So I guess that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, but these kids should not be watching Indiana Jones, arguably. <laughs> yeah, I guess. But I mean, being, I mean, babe, specifically babies don't really, you, don't, you assume they're not really taking in what they're seeing. So the idea that Tommy might have been in the room as a baby... Mm. Where because because you know the parents and the kids can't understand each other, so there's you know that's that's kind of the point of the of the, of the thing. They, they they you know the babies. The premise of the show is the babies talk. Except for I do wonder what's the logic with Dill. Dill doesn't really talk, and the other babies can all talk, and they're all they're literally called babies. They're they're they they no. He does he he starts to more throughout the film though, doesn't he? Like he first he calls Tommy Toto, which is him trying to say Tommy, and then by the end of the film he calls him my Tommy. Uh, so he does he you're right, you're right. he. He he learns to communicate throughout the movie. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah, fair enough, <laughs> fair enough. Um, so you know, it, it, it kind of break the rules slightly with the Stu and Tommy scene, just slightly. Nadia didn't like that at all because she was like, "No, the, the, they're not supposed to be able to communicate with each other." Um, like that's the that's kind of the weird the way the show always went. But anyway, um, I thought it was really clever how they introduced the babies. I thought they did a good job reestablishing the characters for anyone who might be jumping in or a parent that's uh, coming into the without having seen the show. Let me let me jump and defend Stu and Tommy because there's no indication from Stu's point of view that Tommy has definitely categorically understood him. I don't think people talk to their kids about like like they can understand them. I think that's a common thing. The thing I take umbrage about in that scene more is him giving a baby a fucking compass. <laughs> like that's way that's way worse than well, it's, like, a, it's a watch, the, isn't it? It's not a compass. Or watch whatever it is. Well, okay, still a metal a metal object with a chain should not be given to a baby. Is my point? Uh, yeah, I guess. Yeah, I guess that's probably about right. <laughs> that's fair. And a lot um, of the movie is pinned on that. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah. Um. It's funny actually. I'm just remembering some trivia from earlier, but it's related to this. But I'll come back to it. It's fine. Um. 
Because we, we, we do the trivia when we do the trivia, and there's not much trivia, so I don't want to start sprinkling trivia into the podcast, and we won't have a trivia section. <laughs> There'll be nothing left. Mm. Um, but I, I think fair. they're less successful at introducing the wider family, and I could imagine somebody who either hasn't seen the show in a long time, um, or didn't watch the show religiously as a child, and therefore have these characters baked into their brain, being a bit like, who, wait, who's this one? Who's married to who? Mm. Like, I think Chucky's dad gets like two lines in the whole movie, and like... You just go, ah, maybe, maybe just have him in the background then. I, I, like, because every time you give him a line, I'm going, like, I can imagine a parent being like, and who's this guy? I guess the thing, Chucky's dad's a bad example, actually, because Chucky's dad looks so much like he's clearly the father of that child. Um, but some of the other adults, like Phil and Lil's parents, who again get a line or two each, I, I, particularly like her dad, Phil and Lil's dad, I think it's one line in the whole movie. I could imagine somebody being like, well, who's he supposed to be? Who's this guy with the big hair? Like there are so many mm. adults to introduce. And while they do do a good job of setting up the key important story adults, particularly um, Stu and, and Drew um, and their dad, um, the rest of the adults just get a couple of lines here and there. And it is kind of like you're expected to carry knowledge of the TV show in, I think, to a certain degree to understand the family and the dynamic and who everyone is um, in relation to each other. Um, and I think that's they try to cover it with the with the with the baby shower right at the beginning of the movie and use that as an excuse to have everyone show up and be like, oh, it's my father. Oh, he's my mother. Like trying to, you know, establish the, the, the exact tree. It's not enough. It's not enough. Uh, so maybe you have less of the characters in it. Like, I don't know, it's hard because the plot needs them to all be in it, doesn't it? Because it, it, all the parents need to be looking for the kids. So it's like, uh, maybe less of the grandparents then? Have them be present but not speak? Just have the one grandparent, the, the the one that lives with them, be involved. I, I don't know. I I I'm okay with it to be honest, because I think not having them is weirder. Like, yeah. where are these other parents hunting for these kids? Like, I think the baby shower thing is quite a fun, logical excuse to sort of get around it. And I think it's one of those. If you know the show, there's more texture to who those people are. But if you don't know the show, they're just the other kids' parents. And that's all right. Like, not not everyone in a kids movie needs a needs a plot, do they? So I I'm, I had less of an issue with that, to be honest. Yeah, I guess it's more. I guess that is more me inventing a problem because I'm sort of looking at that from like the that view of like, oh god, if my parents watched this, what did they think of this? You know, were they making? But sense I I'm, of I was I'm trying to like I, presume what the problems might be for that viewer. I don't have. I didn't have that memory. In fact, to the point where, so I was that guy for this. Like when her dad is on i'm like is that the main grandpa like that's how little i remembered the show watching this and oh, then i was really? like oh no it's not right. it's not the main grandpa yeah and but you just sort of you just pick up who's who like i you know fair enough i think yeah. there's a really weird bit i'd have to find it to check the dialogue because i've just looked it up there's a really weird bit where Phil and Lil's mum refers to herself as betty i think and i was like is she a stepmom like or something, but it, she's not. She's their actual mum, according to the Rugrats Wikipedia. So I, that, I found that that was the only parent bit where I was confused. Who called her Betty? Sorry, your line broke up slightly. Then I think she called herself Betty. Like, that, hold yeah, on. I think she says to yeah, that's a that's her name, isn't it? Yeah, but she says she's talking to Phil and Lil at the time, and she says your dad and Betty or something. 
Uh, maybe someone else is talking. I don't know. Maybe I'll look it up and see if I can work it out. Yeah, what, that's true. Um, so um, the other thing I thought was funny, and it was a thing that I didn't understand as a kid, but understood as an understand now as an adult. Uh, Doctor Lipschitz being a quack. Uh, my memory was that Doctor Lipschitz in the show was a real, like, legit doctor that they referenced a lot in the show. It turns out Doctor Lipschitz is a running joke about quack doctors. Um, didn't get that as a kid. Only realised that last night watching this movie um, led to a really funny joke that really cracked Nadia up where um, they're talking about in my day, you know, you'd give birth to a baby in a potato field or whatever. And they're like, oh, we've got a room for that. And they open a door and there's like a potato field birthing room, which is just so absurd, but so very yeah. funny. <laughs> the whole... And this must have been around the time that like alternative birthing stuff was really coming in. So I thought that whole sequence was very funny. And you sort of go, sorry, can we spend a bit more time exploring what's behind all the other doors? Yes, please. <laughs> yeah. What other, what other crazy... So here we go. I've, what other crazy birthing things are there? So I found it. So literally, she picks up she picks up Phil and Lil. She picks up one of them. And her... Like, I've got the subtitles on. Her line is, we're here. We're here, Betty. Betty and Daddy are here. What she's talking to them though, so you think it would be mum and mum and dad? If she's calling him daddy, why is she first naming herself as Betty? I don't remember. Maybe there was some sort of running joke that she never called herself mum. That maybe she always maybe. called herself Betty. Maybe because I was like, oh, cool, they've got like a stepmum. That's really interesting. And then I've just looked at the Rugrats Wikipedia. No, I, that's yeah, I would have. I would have clarified for you. She's definitely their biological mum. But I, yeah, I, yeah, interesting, interesting. Anyway, um, I really like um, the Angelica character. I've always loved the Angelica character. I like how manipulative she is. Um, and I love how clever she actually is as well. She's the only one of the babies. Because she's, she's in that middle age. I, this is such a clever idea as well. Because she's the bridge between the babies and the adults. Because she's still young enough to be able to communicate with the babies. But she's old enough to be able to communicate with the adults too. And she's the only character that can do that. And... Um, that whole thing where she's manipulating Tommy for her own amusement to not like Dill. And then scenes later, just a couple of scenes later, she's manipulating the two brothers to fight for her own amusement. That's Stu and Drew. Because she has that brilliant line um, about having, can I see the horse? And Drew's like, we don't have, oh no, Stu. Stu's like, we don't have a horse. And she's like, oh, that's funny. Because my mommy told me that Aunt Dee Dee got saddled with a loser. <laughs> Which is, just one a good joke a funny line like that's like a proper zing like brilliant but two that's so manipulative because then the two brothers start immediately fighting and i'm like this child is smarter than all of you <laughs> like like you think, you've, you think you've just the... been manipulated by a five-year-old or how old she's supposed to be for the sake of discussion though do you think the movie slightly doesn't know what to do with her Yes. Oh, in the plot sense, a hundred percent. Yeah. In terms of her interaction yeah, yeah. with the various characters in the scenes, absolutely perfect. Like almost antagonist. Um, the reality of it, not not so much. And I think the actual answer is maybe don't do the wolf, and have Angelica mm. be the villain somehow in the woods. Like have her be angry at the babies. Maybe Cynthia's arm comes off, and like in the woods, she's the threat. The babies are just left alone by the wildlife. You know, maybe keep the monkeys maybe for the fun times. But like, 
you know, this idea, this wolf is like the the villain, quote unquote, <laughs> but it's barely in the movie. I don't know about that. Mm. Um, yeah, no, I didn't like the wolf thing. I thought the wolf was kind of just there throughout the movie, and I think the, I kind of i I like what they did with Angel. I I get why Angelica can't be with the babies for the whole thing, but because you know she's so antagonistic in the show that it's sort of how do you how do you make that work without her yeah. seeming like an arsehole or something? But it's kind of a bit like oh, and Angelica's chasing them. <laughs> Like, like, oh, okay. Yeah. Like, so now we've got to now we've got to believe that uh, there's a, a crazy sense of circumstances where two different sets of children get lost in this wood, um, which reminds me of the very funny scene where Stu and Stu and Grandpa are chasing after the babies, and they're actually in the van in front of them, and the, the like van lid pops up and he sees them, but he's not looking at them. That's good. Good stuff. This good, this, there are a bunch of really good jokes. Um, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think the you know the, 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 the Angelica as a character certainly not having much of a uh, a plot presence, but they do they do really understand that character, um, mm. and I think they still have brilliant use of her weird manipulation. And she's only three. I've just looked up. I was like, is she, what is she, like five? I looked her up. She's three. She's supposed to be three. She's smarter than all of these adults in many ways. <laughs> um, so, um, ah, right. I, I just talk about this, Chris. This is my notes. Um, did, did you, ex- okay. I wrote, I wrote two words, Chris. And I'm not proud of it, but it's what's in the movie. And then I wrote, I didn't expect to have to write those words today. So the, I'm going to say the two words out loud on their own, and then I'm going to let you talk about it, because I don't know I can. <coughs> Piss Rainbow. Mm. Say that again? Piss Rainbow. <laughs> oh, when they're all, when the kids, when the babies are all peeing in the uh-huh. scene, in the, huh? Yep. Yeah. Um, we expecting to see a Piss seat. Rainbow, Chris? <laughs> There's mate, there's a lot in this film that I wasn't expecting to see. <laughs> but no. I was not expecting to see a rainbow of piss. But I kind of had a view by that point, I'd so it was so like, alright, anything goes in these fucking musical numbers then. Fine. You wanna have a bunch of kids pissing? Alright. Fine. <laughs> Whatever. Like yeah. It's just it, it it's almost like and I'm not defending them here. Oh, I really don't want to come up with an explanation that slightly defends them. But you know your notion of of the kind of the fantasy sequences that we don't get in the that we get in the show, you know, their interpretation of things. Mm-hmm. It's almost like the musical numbers act as that in this film because you know the musical numbers contain some really well, you know, we've got monkeys singing for one. Um, you know, there's some there's there's some stuff that just doesn't, you know, it, there's certainly some fantasy elements to those musical numbers, isn't there? Um, well, yeah, so, that'll, well, yeah, that'll but, make me feel better about one of my other notes, which is if Dill can't talk and we're accepting that babies just can't immediately talk, why can all those babies that have just been born in the hospital all talk and sing, actually? Yes, yes. So I sort of felt, felt it was sort of a fantasy musical number sequence and so if you frame it like if you frame it like that if there's going to be a piss rainbow anywhere you might as well have a piss rainbow there then i guess 
I guess if you frame it like that, then you have a lot of questions about these children and their imaginations because they dreamt up piss rainbow. Yeah, well, yeah, I guess. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. I, I, I have, yeah, piss rainbow, not happy. Didn't like they, that. They also, they, what, what is the song the monkeys sing? Because they also dreamt up that. Well, no, that's, that's a real song, isn't it? That's, a, that's Witch Doctor. That's a real song. No, 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 but uh, but they but the, yes, but the, it's it's not a song traditionally sung by monkeys, is it? Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so yeah, it's we haven't talked much about the monkeys either. <laughs> well, I don't. What do you say well, about the monkeys? It's a confusing thing. Like the the movie. Well, I feel that way. That's how I feel about Piss Rainbow. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're right. Like, there's no actual answer. There's no analysis to have. The, the piss, it's piss, piss rainbow and singing monkeys. I, just, I don't know what you want from me. Um, <coughs> yeah, the monkeys are strange. Basically, if anyone doesn't remember, there's a circus train, and the two guys who who run it are very funny. They're an amusing group, and they basically they're arguing over who watches the monkeys while the other one gets coffee, and then they decide, well, we, we both want coffee, we'll both get coffee, and while they're doing that, the monkeys escape. But they don't just escape; they like crash the train into the forest, which is insane. Um, and he's really just there to give the movie scale and visual. It's moments like that that I'm like, no, this is not Rugrats. Like, can't the monkeys have just escaped then, at the very least? Just have like them like get out of the cage somehow, or even as a little nod to the show, oh, use a screwdriver to unhook something like Tommy used to do. And then they're out. They've think- not crashed a train, which just feels like way too big for this. Yeah. Do you think? Do you think everything they did with the monkeys, in terms of the monkey stealing deal, the monkeys being a threat while they were in the cave? Do you think they could have done all of that with the wolf? They could have. They could have. But I guess you don't really need to do that with a wolf because the thing with the wolf is a wolf would be in those. The reason they've had to go to the extreme of it's a circus and stuff is because there'd be no, there's no woods in suburban America that's full of monkeys. Do you think? Do you think the monkeys are the ultimate case of us thirty-year-old men are going? What the fuck's up with these monkeys? But actually, kids probably fucking love those monkeys. Well, yes and no, because I think you're right in that their, their entertainment value in the movie would mostly be appreciated by children. Because they're silly, zany, very over-characterized, like, you know, characters. But I do think on a, from a practical level, they represent my earlier issue with the film, which is the, the, this this weird in, insistence on scaling. You know, the kids might have imagined monkeys like this in an, uh, in an episode of the show. But they never faced physically anything like this. And the show, the movie has to bend over backwards to make them exist, right? It has to have a train crashing through the woods, which already, from a scale perspective, just feels way bigger than anything the show ever would have done. You know, way less grounded than anything the show ever would have done. Um, and I think I would have even been more ex- more accepting of it if it was just the monkeys escaped. Because then you draw that parallel of the kids are always escaping, the monkeys have escaped. And, that, and you could double that parallel up by having a screwdriver used. Because Tommy used to have a screwdriver he kept in his nappy that he used to pull out, and he would just use it to pull up the clip. He wouldn't actually use it as a screwdriver; like he would just use it as a long stick to put between the gates on his baby pen and open it from that from the inside. Which I always thought was very funny and very, you know, quite cute and quite a good visual. Um, 
and they didn't do it in the movie, which surprised me because they actually have them break out of a pen by just pushing it over at one point. And I was like, oh, you could have done the, you could have done the classic. Tommy has a screwdriver in his in his nappy, which I always loved because well because I like the idea that parents would keep changing his nappy and going, uh, Dee Dee, um, there's also a screwdriver inside this nappy. <laughs> Should we? Have questions. <laughs> And actually, thinking about it, it might have been even a toy screwdriver, which is even funnier. <laughs> um, yeah, like a plastic one. Um, yeah, yeah. So I think there's just ways you could have done it that would have made the movie feel a bit more subtle and a bit less bombastic for no reason. And I, uh, but I agree with you that in terms of the entertainment value. You, you know, the reason you put the monkeys in the movie is to is to have you know those zany visuals for the, for the youngins, and, and I'm sure I'm sure young Dan loved that too. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah. I suspect he did, and I suspect young. Young Chris probably wasn't as irritated by them um, as as older Chris, but uh, yeah, I think well, it's. Um, uh, while we're yeah. on the subject of the monkeys, though, I have a question about uh, for you about their use in the movie because the monkeys end up being representing a, a situation where the monkeys keep going for Dill and taking Dill, and the other babies, the the, the the sort of end of the second act low point is the other babies are sick of Dill. Dill got them into this situation, they're lost in the woods, they're fed up of him, he's crying all the time, he's a, he's a real shit, to be honest with you. That scene with him and Tommy under the tree, where he like drinks all of the milk, and then doesn't let Tommy have any blanket, is like, oh yeah, Christ, yeah, I'd be thinking about letting the monkeys take this baby right about now. <laughs> Um, what a selfish little shit! If we had a, if we had the Nobed Hall of Fame on this podcast, Chris, I'd be thinking about putting Dill in it. You know, um, uh, we have the, for anyone who doesn't know, uh, Nobed Hall of Fame is a running segment on our Av- Analyzing Avatar podcast where we take a character that's really pissed us off that week and we get to put them in the Nobed Hall of Fame. Um, so I'm looking at the Dill situation, and then the, the way the plot coalesces for those who don't remember is Tommy. Um, gets really to his low point his friends have abandoned him because they were sick of dill dill isn't treating him very well he is still stuck in the woods and this has all been in the aid of him helping and trying to get dill home you know and he even talks about because they have this whole thing where they they're going to use a wish if they can meet the lizard and they'll use the wish to get home uh but like tommy's talking about using the wish earlier on in the movie to get his brother back once the monkeys have kidnapped him but he gets his brother back and now he's just like on his own with his brother his brother's pissing him off and there's this moment this really insane moment where it gets so dramatic like he's going to like he he, he picks up a can of like a uh, not can like a jar of like banana baby food and he's about to pour it on dill to encourage the monkeys to take him and the movie treats it like he's got a gun to the child's head it is so dramatic the music picks up it's during a storm it's raining there's lightning tommy's face is all lit like evil and then he changes his mind, and it's like a sweet moment. My my question for you, Chris, and the reason I wanted to talk about this scene is just like, was that too much? Did they go too far with that? Like, is that not seem like not overly dramatic for the rest of the movie? It's it's so much. I don't know. What did you? How, did you think they earned that? I don't know. <laughs> I it's difficult because I remember thinking, shit, that's dark. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's a really thinking, dark scene. I, I remember thinking, God, they're really. Yeah, and, and I, in terms of annoyance of that scene, it was more the the flipping around. You know what I mean? It starts with you know Tommy being I've got responsibility, and then Dill annoys him, so he's like, right, well, fuck it, I'm gonna feed Dill, feed Dill to these wild animals, and then all lovey lovey again. And you know, uh, you know, by you know, you've then got Dill sharing the blanket and stuff. So it was more 
the flip-flopping of Tommy's relationship with Dill. Yeah, because the f- flip-flopping great, and a character sh- shifting but... is fine, but they don't really earn it any time, do they? No, because they do because it all happens so quickly. In terms of whether it's too dark or dramatic, it, I think the difficulty is every time this movie is, let's call it, doing another genre. So every time it's being a musical, every time it's being an adventure movie where you've got like, you know, the climax of this film is monkeys chasing the raptor and the wolf and, and you know, and the and Stu's in a, in a, you know, whatever that thing is, like a, a, a in a bird plane thing and he's crashing and uh, and you've got this you know i mean the fight between spike and and the wolf um oh another amazing joke when angelica says that um spike spike was a baby called paul or something that's now a dog because he got rejected when tommy came home <laughs> yeah like and even then you know he, he you know some moments where spike's fighting the wolf the moment where Tommy sings as we both complimented the song about how he wants his mum and dad to love him and it cuts to him curled up in the corner you know crying this out and um, you know his mum and dad walking away from him and then we cut outside of the dogs howling in the in the rain whenever this movie does a genre and goes this scene is going to be this they go all in like they really go all in on it, and as as much as I also watched it and went, "Fucking hell, this is a bit, this is a bit dark, a bit far." Actually, I think it's just doing that again. Like it's just going all in on this, you know, on this notion, on this extreme. Um, but it's pretty dark. <laughs> yeah, it really is. I and mean, you're right, though. Actually, I guess the movie is almost like parodying that kind of thing in those scenes. Um, I, I think I think we, we I've act, we've accidentally like, maybe not accidentally but like, we've hit on I think one of the bigger issues though is, is with the flip flopping and the changing. It's like it's never earned in two senses. It's never earned in that it's all done really quickly. Like so, it's just ha- even if there's a good explanation for why the character has changed their mind, we don't explore it enough to really ever understand it. So it just feels like they've changed their mind out of nowhere. But sometimes there's literally no explanation as well. So in that moment when Tommy is holding up the banana, he's just like looking at Dill and then just goes, "No, I can't do it" or whatever. And then they're just friends again. It's like, well, what happened? What changed right there? Like the character. I think doesn't... he looks at. I think he looks at his, it's not enough, but I think he looks at his reflection and he realizes who he's become. Oh, you're right. That he, that he's made Dill this upset and that goes against, you know, what his dad was telling him and all that sort of stuff. Right, 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 right. You're right. It's not enough. You definitely hit upon an issue. The fact that I'd forgotten that that was there, it tells you a lot about how quickly that happens. Because the movie's trying to do, the movie's, the movie's trying to be a parody movie but it's not it's trying to be a musical but it's not it's trying to be about this thing but it's not you, you know the movies it's trying to do an awful lot this film is it do you think it's just overcompensating you think they were just so worried about scaling up rugrats they overcompensated mm, possibly. yeah yeah possibly that's kind of what i've been thinking about as we've been talking about it um so um I think we, I don't know if we go back to overall thoughts. Have you got anything more specific uh, about any of the individual se- sequences or scenes to talk I, about? D- apologies, there. I hit a lamp, by the way, so I imagine that was quite noisy. <laughs> yeah, I could hear it. And I was thinking, like, maybe I don't know. Maybe I'm either imagining that or like it's yeah, it's fine. 
No, no. I went to I went to get I went to get my drink, which I'm trying to be really careful because I've put ice in it, so I'm really conscious of that being loud. And I managed to like nudge my chair and a lamp. So apologies. Um, the uh, no, I've got no. I I to be honest with you, mate. There was a point in this podcast where I was like, oh boy, like we're we are we have talked about this and we are. We are really pushing the boundaries of what I thought we had to say about this movie. And I looked at the time and it was 36 minutes into the recording. <laughs> and I was like, oh, we've got we to do a bit more. Yeah, um, yeah I, no, I can flip through I, my yeah. last notes then and see if there's anything in there worth pull, pulling apart before we give sort of overall thoughts. Um, love the use of the intro. Um, to have the show's intro be there, but on, in a small in the center of the screen, have it get wider. And then when he's Tommy squirts the bottle, it goes boof when it goes full. That's great. That's, yeah, that's, I enjoyed that. That's clever. Really nicely done. Um, I liked when we had that brief, um, you know, traditional Rugrats fantasy sequence at the beginning. When they were trying to get the golden monkey idol thing off the statue, there's a brief moment when it flickers and you see it's a uh, banana split or a nut banana sundae. And then when we cut to the real world, they are in front of the fridge, and it really was like an ice cream with a banana in it. That, like, so we got a little glimpse of it in the in the thing, and then we see the real thing. I thought that was pretty clever. Um, I did like um, the way they handled Tommy's ne- being neglected, because it didn't feel... Because that's such a hard thing to do without making the parents seem like monsters. Does that make sense? Like, y- you need to make his parents be understandable and relatable, but you also need Tommy to feel like he's been a bit neglected. So that scene when he just wants to be read to, you go, well, they were reading to him. They just, the other kids, like, got a more urgent, like, he's crying I... and won't sleep. Like, you, you understand how the parents got distracted, you know? And even though it's absolutely heartbreaking when Tommy is just stood under the, holding up the book and they're ignoring him. Horrific. You, you, you know why. You would, like, you don't ever genuinely... Go on. Go on, there you go. Well, I was just going to say the parents never—they they, they never look like bad parents. Was my was my point. But go on, what were you going to say? Yeah, mate. I, when that scene played, I nearly came upstairs and grabbed a teddy bear to watch this movie with. Like, <laughs> I literally, it's I was literally like, it's heartbreaking. It yeah. is, and I I think as well you can do, as well as defending the parents there. I think, uh, and uh, you know, I know I've said this a few times now, but I think if you're a parent. A lot of the dill irritations is just waved away with, he's a baby. He doesn't know he's being a twat. Right, absolutely. So I think think dill is also less irritating, probably, if you've had more exposure to kids. I, I, like you, was like, fucking hell, dill. And I also thought about Nobed All of Fame (laughs) whilst watching it. But I think we yeah, have historically just... put one baby in Hall of Fame, in the Novet Hall of Fame, if you remember. But we, I won't go into the details yeah, of got... that because that's a core. Yeah, if memory serves, I got a lot of shit. I, <coughs> I got a lot of grief for that from you, and you're just like, "But this baby, this baby's a real twat." Well, here's the thing, Chris. I said I thought about it. I didn't say I'd do it. No, and I don't think we should do it because it is presented as he's just a baby. Yeah. But I think that resonates probably better if you've if you've had kid or are a young kid around babies or all that sort of stuff yeah agreed agreed this is probably this is probably the most the biggest incident of us reviewing a movie that truly isn't for us <laughs> right yeah this is this is yeah absolutely that's true like because we're not we're not young enough 
to still be enjoying the, the the more childish stuff. And there's a lot of stuff about being a parent in here that I think would hit harder if the mm. person reviewing it was a parent. Um, mm. Yeah, I, I agreed. Um, like like the reference to the show with Phil and Lil when they did that. That's my reptile, uh, Lillian. Mine. Philip is not, and they just pull him back and forth. That was a fun little reference to the show. They did that every week, and and it's not overdone here. It's just a little nod, and it's very funny. Um, I always enjoy seeing them argue those two. Um, we talked about this. We talked about this. Oh, the taking Dill back because of a money back guarantee is fucking hilarious. Yeah, I will hear nothing against that joke. That's a great joke. Um, yeah. I had a question for you, Chris, in my notes mm. to ask you. Where did I ask, ask you this? Do babies have super strength? Because nobody seems to be able to take anything off Dill once he's got hold of it, including his parents. Yeah, I think that's the notion. Super strength, super strength Dill. I think mm. you nailed it. Okay, so he's like a he's like a super baby. Mm. That's my theory. Gotcha. Um, I like the, the the little detail, and you might not have noticed because I'd never noticed it till this viewing. Uh, Angelica obviously sings a version of one way or another uh, later on in the movie. But in the early parts of the movie, when she's just trying to watch TV, there's a brief bit when you can hear one way or another playing from the TV in the background. Oh, that's Thus good. That's inspiring her song choice later on. So you know yeah, where like this that. three-year-old nice. got that song from. Yeah. Yeah. Great detail. Well done. Great retail, yeah. re- detail. Um, I quite like the, rapt- the reptile cart. I think it's quite iconic. I think you know it's it's prominent in the front of the the, the the poster. I think it's a good design. It makes a lot of it explains how they end up lost in the woods to some degree. Um, it, it shields like it's it's just a clever both visual and practical element of the script that I enjoy. Um, I did care less for the Reptar rap that plays while they're running around the city in Reptar, um, which is another one of those scenes that I just thought was taking the. The, the 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 realism and the the, the the world of the film just too far when they're just like babies in a reptile car it's just it's like driving over like motorways and through the city and getting caught on stuff and like grinding on you know elements of parks and like just it just goes this insane journey and doesn't ever stop and I'm just thinking like at some point momentum will surely not keep taking this like this this can't just keep going but it did I didn't like it. Yeah, it, it, the 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 world, real world logistics of that pram thing are nuts. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, I very much liked the joke. I guess we'll have to change his diaper. And Phil being like, "What do you mean we?" <laughs> That's a great joke. Yeah. I wrote that joke down. I enjoyed it. I laughed out loud. Um, Nadia caught one that slipped through my net, which is when <laughs> Dee Dee suggests that their grandpa slept through Pearl Harbor. As a reason why, like, we shouldn't leave the kids with him. To which he has the most ambiguous response I've ever heard, which is, I sounded the alarm as soon as I could, because what Nadia pointed out was, is he talking about the babies, or is he talking about Pearl Harbor? No, I think my actual, my my interpretation of that is he's absolutely talking about Pearl Harbor. (laughs) Like... You want to talk about subtle darkness in this movie? There's a suggestion that the grandpa is responsible for Pearl Harbor. <laughs> it's insane. <coughs> I think, and I... again, I'm sorry. I think that's the kind of thing 
the the apparent is not getting through from other properties. Yeah, so which I, is why I, I, go I don't back disagree to. with you. I don't disagree with you. It's, I, that's a that's a I think, great joke. I think apparent, and there's lots of them in this. Like I think apparent would it's 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 the reason I think Toy Story works. Do you know what I mean? Like especially Toy Story two. Toy Story 2's got, like, a lot of fun stuff uh, for parents in, and I think, uh, at least that's my memory of it. I remember my mum specifically saying that. Um, so, and I think this is the case for this film. Yeah. Um, I Speaking of Disney, um, I like that they do a scene where there's a bunch of, like, Disney-esque drawn animals having a peaceful drink at a, at a, at a little sort of, like, watering hole, and then it's interrupted by the chaos of this movie. Um, I, it's a small visual gag. But it is definitely a little nod at Disney, and it works quite well. Um, are, you, are you doing some sawing there, Chris? You, you chopping up some wood? Oh, sorry, I was, I was itching my eye. Sorry, but obviously wow. It's really, so it's I, I, <laughs> listeners will won't have heard that the way I could hear that, but whatever Chris was doing was like scratching at his headphones, which was making to my ears because we're speaking to you through headphones. I was just hearing like it sounded like someone sawing through wood. That was amazing. <laughs> So the the explanation will be I I got I felt like I had a bit of like like something in my eye like I don't know sleep or whatever so I was I was itching my eye but I was itching my eye with my t shirt which meant that I was sort of pulling the t on reflection pulling the t shirt directly over the microphone bit of the headphones like and would, then just yep, rubbing that would explain why that was happening that makes sense. Yeah. Um, apologies no apologies. it's fine that's absolutely fine um <coughs> i i made a couple of quick notes here about this because i just thought this is very funny i like the news guy uh wrecks something i like him deliberately causing arguments <laughs> and manipulating things in an angelica-esque way and i liked the joke that he was utterly incapable of getting the names of the children right um that joke didn't get I old cannot... i thought it would but it just kept going and it never stopped making me laugh <laughs> I cannot see how Die Hard wasn't the reference for that. Oh, that's a because it's basically it's basically the same beats, and I was like, "Oh, this absolutely feels like yeah. they went let's do let's do what they did in Die Hard with the reporter." Yes, and like I don't mind it. I'm not mad at that. Like I'm fine with that. But it just made me. It reminded me so much because we we watched Die Hard over Christmas, and it just reminded me so much of that. Yeah, that makes sense. Um. The Tommy joke where his nappy falls down while he's giving a big impassioned speech. That's weird. I didn't yeah, understand I didn't like it. I didn't I didn't, didn't get like it. That. It just wasn't it was just it was just strange. There's no punchline, it just sort of happens. It's I, um, maybe kids found that funny, I don't know. Weird. Um I also liked the very fun little line where someone's talking about Little Red Riding Hood and they and someone's like, The wolf ate the girl and <laughs> Phil's response was just, well, they got her out, like, obviously. <laughs> I thought that was a really funny joke. Um, I enjoyed that. Um, I like there's a joke that purely relies on knowledge of the show when someone says, Chucky, this time we really are all doomed. <laughs> because in the show, yes, the number I enjoyed of, that, yeah. The number of times Chucky were like, we're doomed, all doomed. And then, like, he'd never, like... Um, you know, they've never actually been true because they're always just like, you know, somewhere really normal, just imagining danger. Um, I thought that was great. Um, it's so weird with Chucky, isn't it? Because they sort of, let's not forget, the, we've not talked about this. The movie is narrated by Chucky at the beginning and the end. 
And there's this weird, if you were to just see that first scene in isolation and that last scene in isolation, you would assume the film is about Chucky learning to be brave. <laughs> That's oh, not yeah. really what the film's about. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, it's he does so come weird. back to save the day at the end. I mean, they all get a save the day moment in the last sequence, don't they? Yeah. Even Dill gets, yeah, but... gets to come save the day in the end. Yeah. But it's not what the film's about. Like, do you know what I mean? Right. Like, it's, again, no, it's right. that thing of it's trying to do, it's trying to be a musical. It's trying to be a parody. It's trying to be, it's trying to be Chucky's story. It's trying to be Tommy and Dill's story. It's, you know what I mean? It's just trying to do, it's trying to do a lot. <laughs> again, yeah. to repeat yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. Um, I liked that I didn't know she could fly joke. I think that was in the trailer. I feel like I remember that mm. joke being like a... I like that. Like in the trailer, like as a big punchline that you, you know, Angelica flies up. I didn't know she could fly. You know, it's it's good. It's a good joke. Um, I really love the stuff they do with Spike in this movie. Um, Spike's the dog, for anyone who doesn't remember. His plot in the movie, first of all, is that he immediately goes off to retrieve the babies when they get lost. Angelica tags along with him, and that's how she gets brought into the plot, despite not having left with them originally. Um, He successfully tracks them down. Then he protects them from the wolf. And has this really brutal scene where you think he might have died. And I genuinely did. I was like, Nadia and I both looked at we were like, I think Nadia said it first, but we were both thinking it. She was like, did they just, did they really just kill off the dog? Like, we actually thought there was a chance they might have done that. And, it's such effective here's, drama. <laughs> here's, here's a huge compliment to this movie that we haven't played it yet, but I think absolutely stands. This is a children's movie that, as an adult, I couldn't predict and see where it was going. But most of the time, it went to surprising places that were also logical. That moment where they cho- where Tommy chooses to ask the lizard for them to have their dog back is heartbreaking, surprising. Because I'm there going, well, Stu is the lizard. So he's going to say, we, we, we want to find our parents. And then Stu's going to pop out and they're going to be like, wow, that happened fast. But then the dog thing has so much more. Mm, arguably, maybe we needed to see the dog a little more, maybe, um, to really kind of hit, have that hit home. But like, it's just this. This you nobody can say this movie is predictable. And considering it's you know a kids movie from the nineties, that's quite an achievement. Yeah, and that's why I feel like what you should have done is really is had Angelica and the dog come with them originally so they could have spent the movie with the dog, like the dog constantly protecting them and them loving the dog because then you ha- then th- their choice to save Spike over going home is a bit, tiny bit more earned maybe, but I, it doesn't really need to be a lot yeah. more earned because obviously Spike just spent the last act of the movie saving them from the wolf. Um, <coughs> so oh, yeah. yeah, and then you could do this really cool thing where because... As much as Dill's being a pain in the ass, Phil and Lil especially come across a bit harsh. Yeah. If you have Angelica be the one that takes Phil, Lil and Chucky away from Dill and is manipulating that situation yeah. because she's just annoyed by this young baby crying all the time. Like that's a, you know what I mean? You could, you could actually, I, I'm beginning to change my mind slightly on my whole I can see why Angelica's not in the situation because the notion that Angelica is the one manipulating the situation. Yeah. Because she's... And actually that Angelica's manipulating the situation because Tommy just doesn't... Tommy doesn't even want to 
she's trying to annoy Tommy and Tommy's not even, Tommy can't be annoyed anymore because he's looking after Dill. So yeah. actually it's a slight, not to add, a, not to add another fucking plot, but it's a slight Angelica's jealous of, of, you know, uh, Tommy. And actually maybe right. you even, you don't particularly do the Chucky thing. You do, you do that with Angelica instead. Yeah. Yeah. That would have been better. I think. Mm. Um. Anyway. Yeah. And then uh, you could have done, you could have done some spike stuff or more spike stuff. Agreed. Agreed. Um, I think, yeah, I agree. I just, I just, I don't have anything to add to that. I just think that's exactly right. That's probably what that would have been. That would have been more effective, I think. Um, mm. Last couple of notes. Um, Angelica's mum throwing away her phone was deeply unearned within the movie. Um, it's a good payoff if you remember the show, but it's not earned here at all. So, bad movie. <laughs> yep, confused the fuck out of me, if I'm honest. <laughs> so, in, in the show, the mum was very unattentive. It's one of the reasons Angelica acts out. Is kind of, well, so what the show implies is that her mother is not engaged with her. Um, always on her phone, always doing her business. Her, her business. So, um, her throwing away the phone because her daughter's been lost and she's sort of found a new impression. It's just not earned within this movie at all. No, very bad. Um... I do like during the ending, though, when everyone's being reunited, even the monkeys get reunited with their kids. I think that's cute. I like that. Everyone gets a happy ending, even the monkeys. Um, oh, no, it's not the monkeys getting reunited with their children. It's the, it's the monkeys being reunited with, their, with, the, with the two guys, right? The two coffee guys. With the circus really. guys, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and then and I want to ask you this, Chris. Did you see the post credit scene? Oh, no, I forgot. I did know there was one. I can't remember how, but I did know there was one. Would you like me to describe I... you the post-credit scene? Yeah, yeah. So the babies are in um, the middle of the the house, and the door opens, and you see these feet coming through, and then the camera pans up, and it's um, Nick Fury, and he invites them <laughs> to join the Avengers Initiative. <laughs> I mean, that's clearly not the post-credit scene, is it? <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, the post-credit scene is, is an absolute pointless waste of everyone's time. Um, the grandpa is in the reptile yeah, pram. And it gets knocked, and it starts rolling down the street with the grandpa in it, and the dog chases. That's that's the post credit scene. Oh, that's quite fun. I'd fucking love to watch that movie. Or the grandpa lost in the woods with the dog. The grandpa <laughs> lost in the woods. Fuck yeah. I'm trying to find the lizard. I, just... I do like the grandpa character. He's brilliant. He's so funny in this. Yeah, yeah, he is. He's very good. He was he was on his, oh, one of the highlights of the show too. I feel. <laughs> right. Let's do the triv, Chris. Do your thing. Let's triv it up. <clears throat> that hurt. It. Never mind. Wish I hadn't done that so loud. Let's trip it up. Let's trip it up. Let's trip, trip it up. Um, I'm gonna give you some trivia. So let's do the thing. Um, there's not much trivia for this one, so I'll go through it. Just, I might as well go through it as quick as I can. Just get it. You know, yeah, get it. Get on. It's just one of those movies that just like there's not a lot of like documentation of the production, so there's not a lot of interesting stuff to to, to tackle. Um, I pulled out the stuff that I thought was worth talking about though. So um, the events of this film take place between the fifth and sixth seasons of the show. Um, it was the first film based on it being an, on a, a first film based on a Nicktoon. And I think what's interesting about this is like the, I, my memory of it, and I could be wrong, is that the fifth series of the show ended with the reveal that Dee Dee was pregnant. So they literally knew they were doing the movie, knew what the premise of the movie was and embedded it into the show. And then obviously Dill was a part of the show after that. Um, they do something similar with the second Regrets movie, um, Regrets in Paris, where there's characters introduced there that become a permanent fixture of the show following that movie. So, yeah, maybe we'll get to that one day. Apparently, Regrets in Paris is better. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. We'll talk about that in a minute. But um, plans for the Regrets film adaptation, along with Ren and Stimpy and Doug, began when Nickelodeon made a contract with 20th Century Fox 
to make the movies in 1993 or between 1993 and 1995. So Nickelodeon reached out to Fox and were like, let's do movies on our products, uh, Doug Rugrats and Ren and Stimpy, and that deal was all signed. But no films got produced. There was, I guess, just production, like, d- d- like not even production, development uh, disagreements. Um, they never quite got any project off the ground, and the contract actually expired in 1995. During that time, when the contract had been at Fox, Viacom, who own Nickelodeon, purchased Paramount Pictures. So the minute that contract with Fox expired, they then started development, developing films in-house, essentially, through Paramount. Um, it makes me wonder if the reason the, sh- the movie's hadn't really happened at Fox is once Viacom acquired Paramount they were like let the Fox thing die on its own and we'll make our own um so that's what happened the movie eventually got released through Paramount it was originally planned to be released in 99 but they pulled it back Chris to 98 because they didn't want to compete with the Iron Giant the English dub of Pokemon the first movie Toy Story 2 and South Park bigger longer and uncut Probably a wise, a fair, a fair thinking. Yeah, quite a lot of absolute classics came out in 1999. It turns out. <laughs> mm. Um, yeah, shocking. So, um, it was a smart move in the end because the movie actually grossed about 140 million. Um, its budget was 24. Oh, wow. 24 million nice. spent, That's... 140 million returned. Um, although nice. this movie did receive very, very mixed reviews from critics. Um, oh, really? Yeah. In, two, in 2000, a sequel, Rugrats in Paris, was released. It too was a box office success, but this one gained a more positive critical reception. So the second one got Fair a, enough. according to the truth, the, the second one got a much more positive critical reception. In 2003, Rugrats Go Wild was released, which is a crossover between Rugrats and the Wild Thornberries. It was actually the least successful of the Rugrats films, both critically and commercially. But the Rugrats film trilogy in total has grossed $299 million. Fair play. I mean, you can't deny that, can you? That's, that's quite the number. Yeah, it's a lot of money. A lot of money. Yeah. Um, so, um, oh my god. Right, I'm going to read you a piece of trivia, Chris. And every sentence of this trivia gets weirder than the last. So I just want you to <laughs> be wet ready for this one. So Dill, the ba- baby Dill, was originally going to be voiced by Madonna. <laughs> right? Yeah. They had Tara Strong in, famous voice actor Tara Strong, uh, one of the Powerpuff Girls, um, also Harley Quinn in the original uh, Batman animated series. She came in and recorded what's known as a scratch voice track for the character, which is a track to animate to before the actor comes in and does the real thing. Um, Her impression of a baby crying was so accurate, it caused a woman in the room who had just had a baby to start lactating. Thus, Madonna was out, and Tara Strong got the role. Oh, what an incredible piece of trivia that just, you can't share. Do you know what I mean? Imagine you at work tomorrow trying to share that. Like, all right, guys, you know the Rugrats movie? Why was I watching the Rugrats? All right, do a podcast. Like, that's that's not relevant. Like, they, like, you know Madonna. 
<laughs> Do you remember Dill? Dill was the baby in the... No, no, yeah, no, they were all babies. But in the Rugrats movie, Dill was... You know, it's the whole thing. <laughs> that is... Oh, that is so incredible. But very much for us and the listeners that have stuck with this entire podcast. Yeah. I I sometimes I get trivia and I'm and I look at it and I go is this is this is this accurate is this completely true and I Google it to try and find out I didn't with that one I don't want to know don't comment don't email if you can look that up and find out that's completely false I don't want to hear it yeah don't want to hear it yeah, I yeah. want to go to my grave believing that <laughs> that is fantastic yeah it's good um the uh. The, the news anchor, whose name is Rex Pester, his original name, before they called him Rex Pester, was Scoop Hunter, which is also pretty good. Nice. Nice. Very nice. Um, during the Harry Potter movies, Daniel Radcliffe went through 160 pairs of glasses. Mm. During mm. the Harry Potter movies, Daniel Radcliffe went through about 80 wands. No, I'm kidding. I made that one up. <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea if that's true. Um, uh, so Tim Curry, actor Tim Curry, does a voice in all three Rugrats movies. In this one, he voices the um, the reporter Rex Pester. In Rugrats in Paris, is apparently he, in Rugrats in Paris, he apparently voices a singing sumo wrestler. And then, of course, in Rugrats Go Wild, he voices Nigel Thornberry because that's the character he voiced on the TV show The Wild Thornberrys. Um, so that's obviously that's a crossover. Do you movie. think that the was going to happen? Do you think the start the starting point for the crossover was we've run out of other people for him to play? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's just bring the Thornberrys in. Why not? Yeah. I love the Wild Thornberrys. I'm, I'm, I'm. I wonder if over the course of the years we do this, maybe we'll eventually get to that one. We'll, we'll do Paris in a couple of years, and then we'll I, do Thornberrys eventually. I never watched the Wild Thornberrys, so that to me is a premise for a film. Just feels feels like a film with way too many characters to be succinct and enjoyable but you know i may be wrong well i see that would be maybe that'd be an interesting experiment because i i love both shows i remember really enjoying the wild thornberry so i I'll, I'll be curious to see i never actually i don't think i ever saw that one i think by the time the movie that crossed the two over came out i was a little too old for it and less interested um yeah. but you know thinking back now remembering that i love both those shows as, as a kid at different points I, the idea of them coming together is kind of interesting. I don't know. I'm 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 intrigued by its existence rather than, mm. you know, d- desperate to watch it. So maybe we'll come back to that. Yeah, that's fair. Um, this uh, this this movie actually kind of weirdly worked as a backdoor pilot for adding expanded members of the cast to the show, starting with Dill, and then the Paris movie added like two or three quite major characters too. Um, it's, this movie also acted as a test for the series switching to a widescreen format, which happened between the two mm. seasons this movie is set. Chucky Chucky gets a brother or sister, doesn't he? In the second movie, yes, correct. Right, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, that, that's the, so that, in this movie, they add Tommy gets little brother. In the next movie, they do Chucky's dad uh, falls in love and the lady has a child. Right, nice. So, yeah. Very nice. Um, yeah, I, I I remember that being quite a sweet story, actually. <coughs> Oof, God, between the two of us, Chris. Let's <coughs> give you a nightmare to edit. <coughs> yeah, between the two of us, this is a pleasant listening for future Dan. <laughs> yeah, horrible. Um, one of the reporters asked the pickles, is it true a dingo ate your baby? This is a bizarrely dark reference to a real life story where a lady, um, I, I, I might be misremembering this story, but the lady, I think she was called, uh, wait, let me look back. Yeah, okay, this lady, Linda Chamberlain Creton, she claimed a dingo ate her baby 
um, and she ended up going to, to, to into a, into a trial for the death of this baby. And I think in the end, it turned out Odinga really did eat her baby. And like they just hadn't Jesus. believed her. I, I I I might be misremembering that story, but I think that's the story. It's really weird that they made a reference to that in this movie because that's quite a sad, dark thing. Even if it turned out the lady did kill the baby and it wasn't, my, as I remember it, that, that Dingo really did eat her baby and no one believed her. I, what, what a weird story to reference in this film. I, I, well, I think I think Seinfeld sort of made it a bit of a thing. There's an episode of Seinfeld where Julia, where Elaine Julia Louise Dreyfus. Gets yeah, she gets she gets drunk, and and the Elaine character yells it at someone, and it was like really, I think that clip really like it's one of those iconic moments from the show. So maybe they're more referencing the Seinfeld thing than they are the actual thing, but that's crazy. Yeah, I just uh, I don't know. Uh, it's so strange. Yeah, there you go. So I've just looked it up. Both parents were absolved of crime when a coroner found the um, the remains of the baby inside of a, of a dingo. You know something crazy? There's fucking hell. So oh, no, 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 no. They, they found the remains of the baby having been eaten by a dingo. So they, okay, no, they didn't find it inside the dingo. My bad. So there's there's a list, So and it doesn't even include Rugrats. So in Evil Angels... A character played by Meryl Streep exclaims it. In the Seinfeld episode, The Stranded, Elaine uses the phrase. In the 1994 movie, The Adventures of Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, one of the characters uh, depicts a famous woman with a baby and the uh, and the, it's basically Linda Chamberlain is the answer. Buffy the Vampire Slayer has a reference to it. Yep. Family Guy has a reference to it. And Kevin from The Office, uh, when trying to speak in an Australian accent, makes a reference by saying, I like ice cream too, alligators and dingo babies. Jeez. I was crazy wow. about all these like jokey references. Like I think the Buffy one is, I think it's um, Seth Green's character. His 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 character's in a band called yeah, like, the, Dingoes yeah, Oz, Ate My Baby or Oz, something like that. Yeah, Oz belonged to a band called Dingoes Ate yeah, My Baby. Yeah, you go. <laughs> so, this so is like, nuts how it's just become popular part popular culture. Despite the fact this is a really sad, tragic story of a lady who lost her baby to a fucking dingo attack like that's awful anyway just just stop making jokes about it people i feel like um wow anyway um uh paul germain who at the time who had worked on the show been part of the creative team that created the show um he'd left nickelodeon at the time of the movie being produced and was working with disney um he was asked about the movie. He had mixed feelings on it, basically. He didn't particularly hate or disown it, but he did have a few problems with it, thinking that some moments, such as Stu giving the watch to Tommy, didn't work for him, as the babies and adults weren't supposed to be able to communicate, and that he was upset that how that now Dill was introduced at the beginning because that meant Tommy was was no longer the youngest. He, he, he liked the idea that Tommy was always the youngest. Um, sure. I, mm. I, 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 you know, I don't have too much feelings on that, but yeah. Um, nice. that's that's, yeah. that's his perspective on it that makes sense to me um so but i think hold on so this sorry remind me who was a producer or is it the actor who played tommy no no this is the guy that originally worked he like one of the creators basically the original oh, okay. he, he'd right, moved right. on to he'd moved on to disney by the time the movie was being made so he wasn't he was listed as an executive producer but it feels like 
that was just because he'd you know created it right. originally. He didn't really. It doesn't sound like he had a lot to do with the movie. And when he finally was asked about like, what did you think of it? He didn't. He didn't care for it for the reasons right. mentioned. Right. I think you know, if you move on from a show, you've got to let the current creators do what they need to do for the longevity of the show. And you know, that's you know, they made a decision that helped that. So yeah, yeah, I would agree with that. Um. So it's time, Chris, for my world-famous segment, Cars Exist. Um, so the Pickles family car is apparently the famously offbeat, thank you for the colour commentary, writer of this trivia, the famously offbeat Citroen DS, which was available in the US uh, until 1972. So there you go. Um, there so go. that's it. That's all the triv. We did it, Chris. We did it. So where you are we going? Know where we're going next? Absolutely. Well, so I'm gonna I'm gonna give I'm gonna give you some hints, but because I don't think I'm not I I you must have seen this film, but I'm not a hundred percent. I don't think it's a film we've ever discussed. So here are some hints. It is one of those films that is you know how films like uh, <clears throat> uh, Cool Runnings and films like uh, you know. Back to the Future, planes, trains, and automobiles, even though we've not done it. Home Alone, getting even with Dad. You know how sort of like the archetypal film for this podcast has a certain feeling, was shot at a certain time, has a certain aesthetic, yeah? Sure. It's one of those. So it's 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 a classic Rewind Reviews movie. Okay. It's got an actor, it's got an actor we both love in it. It okay. has... It is a film I remember me and my sister loving as children, but we I think we maybe had a recorded version, but we didn't... It's not a film that we went... It's not a film we had on an official VHS, so even though we love this movie, we didn't go back to it that often at all. I don't think I've seen this film, film in well over 25 years, if not longer. So there's a little bit of a theme with the Rugrats vibe. Uh, I'm not entirely sure you if you if you've seen this film, you've definitely not seen it as long either in in as much time either. And Dan, it contains it contains as a central premise, I think the most controversial and unlikely to hold up premise of any film we've ever reviewed on here. I have no any idea. guesses? No, I don't. I I wish I did. Because that's a fascinating we, combination of we words are going, you just used. We are going to the Leslie Mann, Christopher Lloyd comedy, Rent-A-Kid. I don't remember this movie at all. You might not have seen it then. I don't think I have. I don't think I've ever go. seen this movie. I don't think I even know what this movie is. Well, go in, go in fairly blind then. Um, although, you know, the title is... <laughs> the title pretty much gives you the premise. Um... Yeah, I have no idea how this is going to hold up. <laughs> yeah, Leslie Nielsen. So maybe you haven't seen it. No, I've, I've never even heard of it. So we've got a film Dan hasn't seen and a film I've not seen in minimum 25 years, if not actually more, you know, it's probably closer to 30 than it is. To, uh, no, probably not closer to 30, but yeah. I genuinely, I've never heard of this movie. There you go, then. That's where we're going next, baby. Who even produced this? Republic Pictures. 
Where did you find this? Like, I didn't know this movie existed. What? Like, what? <laughs> How did you see this movie? I remember. I remember watching it as a kid. Yeah, but where? Like, was it on VHS? Was it on TV? Like, what? Like, I... it was on TV, and I think we recorded it on TV, and had a had a had a a home recorded version, which obviously. To some degrees, those home recorded takes just get chucked in a box with with others, and that's why it wasn't a film I went back to. Um, so yeah, this is wow. There is this is the thinnest Wikipedia page I've ever seen for a movie. I know. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Sure. Let's do that. Fascinating. Yeah. I'm just staring at this Wikipedia page, like blown away by how little information there is here. Like it's almost like a, it's I almost just... like it's almost like it's not a real movie, and someone kind of um, like invented a Wikipedia page for it, but didn't actually have a lot of fake information to add. <laughs> I mean, it sounds like that, doesn't it? Like, do you yeah. know what I mean? Le- Leslie Nelson and Christopher Lloyd in a film called Rent a Kid. Like. <laughs> Wow. All right. Well, yeah, here we go. So uh, as has been established, we're going to be covering that um, next week. Um, I'm excited. It's an interesting one. I have literally no like sense of what this is. So I'm pretty excited about it. So yeah, come back in a week's time to hear us talk about that. Or you can hear it right now if you head over to the Patreon, patreon.com slash nothing but static, um, where you can listen to episodes a week early. I should clarify, and I keep forgetting to say this on various podcasts, we have an RSS feed. So some people have sort of said like, well, with the Patreon, like I don't want to have to download the files awkwardly and get them onto my device, you know, like through Patreon's system. Um, If you're a part of the Patreon, you get to, uh, you get an RSS feed that you can, put into your podcast app of choice and then new episodes of this and analyzing avatar are just available through your rss feed to stream straight to your phone whenever wherever or download um depending on your preference um at your at your leisure um it's way more convenient than having to keep going to the patreon website to download the files you can do that too and i think some people do do that but i, I recommend using the, the, the rss feed and i don't mention that as much as i probably should because i think that's actually put some people off signing up to the patron is not wanting to have to download the files through patron because i yeah i get it not convenient at all um i think patron need a better like app that you can like do that stuff through but that's just me um mm. anyway um yeah the other ways you can help us if you obviously go to youtube.com i don't know if you've heard of it it's a little, little website youtube.com you can go there and you can um subscribe to our channel and then like some of the videos that helps us you can do that that's that's free of cost other than your time which is valuable i don't want to make it sound like i don't think your time is valuable but it's it's free in terms of money to do and it helps us out um you can keep supporting us by continuing to listen of course you can help help support us as well by telling a friend you got a friend who likes shit movies from the 90s or a friend who's like me just absolutely fascinated at the existence of Rent-A-Kid as a movie, point it out to them. Although right now they'd have to get on the Patreon to do it, which would be a bold first step if you've not listened to the podcast previously. So maybe introduce them to some of our older episodes first. Um, uh, Yeah, uh, tell a friend, get them into it. Why not? Uh, Otherwise, yeah, just keep listening. We appreciate you doing that very much. Um, Yeah, we're we're excited. I'm, I'm, I'm... Staring at this, like fascinated. If you, uh, yeah, anyway, if, I, I, sorry, I brought, I made, I made the mistake of referencing Rent a Kid again, and my brain keeps just turning off when I try to process this movie's <laughs> existence. Just the poster alone, it's like, who made this and why? 
That's the worst Mate, poster the, so, I've ever seen for a movie. So as far as I can tell, the it is on Prime, but the poster used on Prime is has like a foreign language for for the actors' names and the subtitles and stuff. So I don't know if the version on Prime is, is dubbed in another language. <laughs> so we shall see. This might even be a challenge we'll... for us to find and watch. Let me just let me just click on right. Let me just let me just like watch like a moment of it. It's so see. funny because for some reason I was convinced you were going to pick. You know the Bob Hoskins Mario Brothers movie this week. Um, I, I, Why did we discuss that then or something? I can't remember. No, I just thought you were going to do the math on the dates because obviously the, the 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 Mario Brothers movie, the Illumination one, comes out around the time next the next episode releases. So I I was because you you're often the one that's like let's do a movie that's relevant. So I was I was fully expecting until you started talking and describing the movie. I was like I don't know what this is. Um, so uh, sorry what... that I didn't do one that's relevant, but I yeah sorry. If no 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 no. no, no you apologize. I was just like I like for, for what I'm saying is from my perspective going into it like. I think he's going to choose the the original Bob Hoskins Mario Brothers movie because it's it's hilariously awful, um, you know. And then to hear a name of a film I've literally never heard of, like it could not be further from what, you know expectations. But that's but that's quite fun. Like you've been, it's so funny, isn't it? Because for all intents and purposes, and I know you've got another movie that neither of us have seen. But like I haven't seen this film in like twenty five years, and you've never seen it, so it's quite a, it's it's a very different type of episode for that reason, which is fun. Yeah, I'm on board with it. I'm on board with it. I think it's funny. Uh, um, so yeah, let's see if it's for, in English. For, for, for for hold on, one second, one second, one second. Let's see if it's. Oh, you gotta check no, if the movie isn't even in English on Prime. That's that's a good idea. Yeah, I'm gonna check that now. Hold on, let me disconnect it from there. Oh, I've got the volume set down, that's why. Yeah, there you go, it's in English. So that's there you go, we can watch it on Prime. It's not even on it's not even not accessible. <laughs> that's so good. Alright, so um Thanks everyone for listening. If you want to comment on anything that we've that's been said in this podcast, you have some strong thoughts on the Rugrats or Chris's uh, Chris's next film choice, feel free to send them to us. You can do so by either going to the YouTube channel and putting it in a comment below the video in question. Um, so it's youtube.com slash nothing but static UK to get to the YouTube channel for us. Um, or you can go on, you can go on Twitter and send us stuff. I, I, I've been trying to figure out a way we can do this now because I think people will still want to occasionally tweet us, but I don't check Twitter anymore. Um, I, we need, maybe I'll come up with a hashtag. That people can use, I can just search that hashtag every now and then because I'm just not going to see the replies. So I, yeah, we'll see. I'll, I'll figure that out. I'll come back to that. But you can still tweet at us directly, and I might see it at Dan Doolan or at C Billingham. I feel like you're more likely to be spotted by Chris now than me. Um, but give it a go. Um, you can also email us mail at nothingbutstatic.co.uk if you have any thoughts on any of the nonsense we've just said. But thank you all very much for listening. Um, we appreciate you. We love you. Um, and I guess we'll see you in a week's time for Rent a Kid. Mm. <laughs> I'm Chris Billingham. Oh, yeah, so, sorry, yeah, I've been dead doing. <laughs> sorry, I'm lost. It's really thrown you, hasn't it? 
Yeah, it really has. It really has. Uh, yeah, you could not. Have but you like you've like you've referenced liking the idea before of doing a movie you've never seen. So this is this is that. Maybe. No, it's, but it's that's not. It's not so much that. It's like the lack of this movie's existence in culture that's thrown me. It's like it's not just a movie I've not seen. It's a movie that like I've not ever even heard of. Do you know what I mean? That's 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 what's really thrown me about it. Like it's not that uh, it's a movie I've got. Oh, I never saw that one. I'm literally like. I didn't know this existed, and that is unusual. And it's got, and it's got, and it's unusual for there to be a movie that you never knew existed that has Leslie Mann and Christopher Lloyd in it. You keep saying Leslie Mann. You mean Leslie Nielsen? I want to clarify. Leslie Sorry, Mann Les- is the Le- actress Leslie from Nielsen. like yeah. Judd Apatow comedy. Yeah, yeah, Le- I think I think she's married Leslie to Judd Nielsen. Apatow. Yeah, Leslie Nielsen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But yeah, I, I love Leslie Nielsen. Um, I, you know, I, I just yeah, it's pretty weird. It's 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 odd. Especially, yeah, between him yeah. and Christopher Lloyd, I feel like I should know this movie existed. Uh, and I, I've never heard of it in my life. So, yeah. Wow. Yeah. That is what's going on. Anyway. All right. Do it. I've, I've been Chris Billingham. I've been Dan Billingham. And this review has been Rewound. <laughs>